Good evening. The murder trial of a former Minneapolis police officer goes to the jury. We have excerpts from the closing arguments. Governor Cuomo says zoos can open to 50 percent capacity, but warns the Indian Point nuclear power plant may stay opened. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the news for Monday, April 19th, 2021. And NASA's miniature robot helicopter, Ingenuity, performed a successful takeoff and landing on Mars early today, achieving the first powered controlled flight by an aircraft over the surface of another planet. Mission managers at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory near Los Angeles burst into applause and cheers as engineering data beamed back from Mars confirmed that the four-pound solar-powered helicopter had performed its maiden 39-second flight as planned three hours earlier. The aircraft climbed as programmed to a height of 10 feet, hovered steadily in place over the Martian surface for half a minute before touching back down safely on its four legs. After several more tests, the rover will get back to its main task, the search for evidence of past life on Mars. And President Joe Biden's administration has reversed a decision to keep in place a historically low cap on refugee admissions left by Donald Trump, saying it'll raise the ceiling next month after faith-based groups initially decried the move as an abandonment of our ideals. Although the memorandum leaves open the possibility of raising the number should the United States resettle the maximum 15,000 refugees this year, news that the ceiling will at least temporarily remain at that historic low was met with disappointment by many religious communities, including the faith-based groups that partner with the federal government to resettle refugees. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki addressed the walk back today. The challenge is the ability to process, the the funding, the staffing, and welcome refugees in. Uh, The cap is a number that anyone can set. The biggest battle to getting more refugees in during the Trump administration was the fact that there were regional limitations put in on refugees coming in from the Middle East and Africa. We've changed that cap. We've changed that that policy, I should say. So the cap, the the number was always going to be. We made, as I said in response to to Nancy's question, we, we We knew it was an aspirational big goal when we said it. It was going to be 10 times what the Trump administration had uh, had set as their goal. And we remain, uh, we are looking ahead to, and we we are hopeful about reaching that 125,000 number uh, as we look to next fiscal year. And that's Jen Psaki. An unnamed senior administration official is suggesting the shift in Biden's refugee policy was due to concern that an uptick in border crossings had already overwhelmed refugee services at the Department of Health and Human Services. And the murder case against former officer Derek Chauvin, Chauvin, pardon me, in the death of George Floyd went to the jury Monday in a city on edge against another round of unrest like the one that erupted last year over the video of the black man with Chauvin's knee on his back for nine minutes and 29 seconds. The jury of six white members and six black or multiracial ones was sent off to begin deliberation after nearly a full day of closing arguments in which prosecutors are argue Chauvin squeezed the life out of Floyd last May in a way that even a child knew was wrong. Use your common sense. Believe your eyes. What you saw, you saw. Prosecutor Steve Schleicher said in closing arguments. Members of the jury. His name was George Perry Floyd Jr. And he was born on October 14. 1973 in Fayetteville, North Carolina. 
to his parents, George Floyd Sr. and Larcinia Jones Floyd, sissy, uh, the matriarch. Now you met George Floyd's brother, Philonis, and you heard all about Sissy Floyd. She was George Floyd's mom. She was the mom of the house. She was the mom of the neighborhood. And you heard about the special bond that she and George Floyd shared during his life. You heard about their relationship, how he would always take time, special attention to be with his mother, how he would still cuddle with her in the fetal position. You heard that. And from George Floyd's brother, you learned all about uh, George's childhood. And during his time growing up in that house, George Floyd was surrounded by people by people he knew, people who knew him, people he recognized, a familiar face to pick out in the crowd. People need that. George Floyd was surrounded by people he cared about and who cared about him throughout his life, throughout his childhood in that house through his adolescence, into his adulthood. On May 25, 2020, George Floyd died. Face down on the pavement, right on 38th in Chicago, in Minneapolis. Nine minutes and 29 seconds. Nine minutes and 29 seconds. During this time, George Floyd struggled, desperate to, to breathe, to make enough room in his chest to breathe. But the force was too much. He was, he was trapped. He was trapped with the unyielding pavement underneath him, as unyielding as the men who held him down. He asked for help with his very last breath. But Mr. Officer did not help. The defendant did not help. He stayed on top of him, continued to push him down, to grind his knees, to twist his hand, to twist his fingers into the handcuffs that bound him, looking at him, staring staring down at times the horrified bystanders who had gathered and watched this unfold. Schleicher added, there are no excuses for Chauvin's actions. Those precious recordings. And they gathered those up and they brought them here and they brought them here and they got up on the stand and they testified and they bore witness to what they saw. They bore witness to this outrageous act, and they told you about it, and they gave you what they had, their thoughts, their impressions, their memories. They gave you those precious recordings so you can see this. You can see this from every single angle. They gave that to you. 
They were powerless to do anything but that. This case is exactly what you thought when you saw it first, when you saw that video. It is exactly that. You can believe your eyes. It's exactly what you believed. It's exactly what you saw with your eyes. It's exactly what you knew. It's what you felt in your gut. It's what you now know in your heart. This wasn't policing. This was murder. The defendant is guilty of all three counts. All of them. And there's no excuse. And that is the prosecuting attorney, Steve Schleicher in Hennepin County. Chauvin attorney Eric Nelson countered by arguing that Chauvin did what any reasonable police officer would have done after finding himself in what he called a dynamic and fluid situation. A reasonable police officer would consider, should we elevate the use of force as we meet this threat? And that's precisely what these officers did. They discussed using the MRT, the hobble. Mama, I love you. We call for you. I can't turn that guy. My face is done. Well, do you want to hop on this point then? They're discussing, should we use the hobble? Should we elevate our use of force? A reasonable officer would continue to evaluate whether the suspect is under the influence. Precisely what these officers did in nine minutes, in this nine minutes and 29 seconds. So reasonable police officers discuss the scene. The first clip, they're talking about the two other people that are over at the car, right? What's going on here? What are we dealing with? Is this person under the influence of a controlled substance? These are the actions of a reasonable police officer. And that was the defense speaking today, attorney Eric Nelson. After closing arguments were done, Judge Peter Cahill rejected a defense request for a mistrial based in part on comments by uh, California Representative Maxine Waters that protesters could get more confrontational if there's no guilty verdict. The judge told Chauvin's attorney, Congresswoman Waters may have given you something on appeal that may result in this whole trial being overturned. He added, I wish elected officials would stop talking about this case, especially in a matter that is disrespectful to the rule of law and to the judicial branch. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul Durienzo. 
Governor Andrew Cuomo said today that COVID indicators continued on the decline in New York State with troublesome hotspots in western New York and on Staten Island. That didn't stop the governor from increasing the allowable capacity at movie theaters, museums, zoos, and indoor sports arenas as the COVID-19 positivity rate has continued its steady decline. Governor Cuomo made the announcement today. Museums and zoos will be at 50 percent. Movie theater capacity will go to 33 percent. That will also start next Monday, April 26th. Indoor large arenas, basically sports arenas, will be raised to 25%. That begins May 19th. Uh, May 19th uh, is not uh, a random date. We've been speaking with the teams. We're optimistic. And that would be a time when playoffs would begin. And that's the governor uh, speaking earlier today. The New York State Attorney General has opened an investigation in the meantime into whether Governor Andrew Cuomo acted improperly while writing his book about the pandemic. The governor was asked about the book today. Governor, your next question comes from Nick Reisman of Spectrum News. Nick, your line is now open. Please unmute your microphone. Hey, Governor, can you hear me? I hear you, Nicholas. Uh, Governor, um, I'm, I'm just curious, how much did you receive for the book that you wrote last year? There have been some numbers that have been reported out there. And could you clarify whether government officials were used to help you write that book? The I probably am unique in the nation. I'll give you something to play with. What public official in the United States has released more taxes personal income taxes for a longer period of time than I have. I bet you I've released my personal income taxes for the past 20 years. Uh, And I will do that again this year. And you will see everything you want to see uh, in the uh, in the personal income taxes. Uh, And the uh, on the book, uh, Some people uh, volunteered to review the book. You look at the people who are mentioned in the book. You know, I said things about people. I don't think I said anything about you in the book. Uh, But some people were mentioned in the book. I wanted to make sure they were okay with the mention. I wanted to make sure that it represented uh, what they did and the facts correctly. So some people volunteered to help on the book. Okay, operator. Okay, everybody. Thank you very much for joining us. Have a good day. The book, American Crisis, which was released by Crown Publishing Group in mid-October, just as the second wave of the coronavirus began to swell in New York, has seen its sales stall during the governor's political travails this year. And New York has dropped its challenge to the sale of the Indian Point nuclear power plant in return for the new owner's guarantee to keep $400 million in a decommissioning trust fund for the next 10 years. The agreement reached Wednesday appears to resolve the state's biggest concern with the Indian Point sale, that the trust fund money could dry up during the teardown, sticking ratepayers with the tab for a cleanup expected to take at least 12 years. The last of Indian Point's two working reactors are slated to shut down at the end of the month when ownership of the Buchanan plant shifts from Entergy to Holtec International, a New Jersey-based decommissioning firm. But speaking today, Governor Cuomo says the closing will only be official after a vote of the Public Service Commission. 
complaints of what it's been doing to the fishery in the Hudson River by the uh, by the in- water intakes, uh, destroying fisheries, and then putting out warmer water into the Hudson. So we're going to end Indian Point uh, if the PSC agrees. That is a very big deal. You now have to replace that amount of energy that comes off grid. That was nuclear energy, which is clean energy. It's dangerous energy, but it's clean energy, in my opinion. Where are you going to replace that from? Uh, So if they want to talk about the specifics and actually how it would work, uh, and can we do it without telling New Yorkers uh, you have to illuminate your home with candles, and I hope you have a big fireplace to keep you warm in the winter, you know, I'm open to it. And as the governor, uh, the group Agree New York, the Alliance for a Green Economy, has been opposing the uh, trade-off of Indian Point to Holtec. Uh, they say that Holtec uh, is has questionable financial solvency. Its, it's sol- financial solvency, solvency is in question. That its plan for nuclear waste storage is currently impossible under federal law. That's what Agree New York says. That Holtec has never completed decommissioning of a nuclear power plant. And that Holtec has a poor safety record and its plan to move the waste is also in violation of environmental justice and that the company puts profits over safety. The Public Service Commission, they say, must set a strong precedent in overseeing nuclear decommissioning. But Paul Galway, pardon me, Paul Galay is president of the uh, environmental group Riverkeeper. He says the criticisms notwithstanding, the PSC will approve closing Indian Point, and it's the best deal we could get. Point is going to close on schedule at the end of April. It's already powering down. The only public service commission vote, which will be held in mid-May, weeks after the plant closes, is on whether to transfer the plant's ownership to Holtec for the purposes of decommissioning. Nothing more. Entergy, the current owner of the plant, entered into an agreement in 2017 saying that they had no intention of operating the plant past uh, April of 2021. They've kept to that religiously. They've issued a statement uh, back in October 2019 giving notice of their intent to fully close the plant by April 2021. They closed the first reactor in April 2020 with little fanfare. And Indian Point's final operating reactor will close on schedule at the end of this month. Now, there's been some opposition to the Holtec part of the deal because, I guess, because of Holtec's past history. Well, of course, we're very concerned about Holtec. We found ourselves in a situation where Entergy was saying this is the company we're selling it to, like it or not. The Nuclear Regulatory Commission backed them up. We went to court to challenge that, but every challenge of that nature to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission's decisions has been rejected by the courts, coupled with the questions as to whether the courts would intervene and undo the license transfer to Holtec seem to make this strong and reasonable agreement and assure that we got safeguards if we were going to end up with Holtec 
better to end up with Holtec and safeguards. Where are they going to bury it? The whole reactor, when they tear it down, you know, they're going to, it's all radioactive inside. And One of the hazardous and radiological waste sites that is being used for these sorts of things, that's being used for the site up in Vermont. Down there in Texas and in New Mexico, and they don't like it. They might sue to stop it from going there. Listen, when you look at the legacy of these plants and the idea that we were going to have fuel that was too cheap to meter and that everything would be just fine, and now some people have the idea that you can keep these plants open for even longer, the overdue bills are coming due. And as Paul Gallet, he's the president of the environmental group Riverkeeper. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has last month extended its nationwide moratorium on evictions through June 30th, pushing it back from the end of March when it had been scheduled to lapse. The move, while widely expected, came at a precarious moment in the pandemic as the increase in vaccine availability accelerated reopening plans by businesses and local governments began to occur, even as millions of families continue to struggle with hardships that might have led to mass evictions. Frank Morales is with the Lower East Side Eviction Defense Network, a group that's set to uh, help people uh, who are facing eviction. Uh, They're calling for canceling of rent and an absolute uh, prohibition of evictions. Their website is evictionfreeny.org. He says that New York State's moratorium on evictions is expiring May 1st. And after that point, evictions by the state would be allowed to move forward unless tenants have filled out what he called a hardship declaration form. We spoke with uh, Frank Morales yesterday. Free side eviction defense network is letting people know, uh, first of all, you can get a hardship form through evictionfreeny.org. And that will at least, you know, take some of the heat off the situation. You know, it's not going to save you. But uh, we encourage people to get this uh, hardship form from evictionfreenewyork.org. And then, uh, but our goal is to organize capacity in our neighborhood to defend one another. And if it comes to bringing people out into the streets and doing that and blockading these evic- against these evictions, that's where we're going to, that's what we're looking to do, okay? And as Frank Morales, he's with the Lower East Side Eviction Defense Network. And finally, for the past few months, Andrew Yang has been treated as the front runner in the mayor's race by both the media and his fellow candidates. Now comes supporting evidence. Spectrum News New York One. Ipsos poll released Monday shows Yang firmly in the lead. In one of the most extensive polls yet on the race, Yang captured the support uh, the support of 22 percent of likely Democratic voters. Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams sits nine points back in second place at 13 percent. The poll also shows signs of life for city controller Scott Stringer whose candidacy seems to have stalled in recent months. He's the only other candidate to reach double digits with 11% support. Maya Wiley, who served as top attorney in the de Blasio administration and an MSNBC analyst, trails behind in fourth place at 7%. And that's some of the news for Monday, April 19th, 2021. The news was produced with Linda Perry. Our engineer is Richie Johnson. From New York City, I'm Paul Durienzo for the WBAI News. Thanks for listening.